Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. Societal pressure, I think, is the hardest one. You know, I mean, I think as a working parent, as a woman, as a leader, there are so many pressures out there that you probably don't even consciously process day in and day out that you're dealing with. I mean, I, you know, the pressure to be a good mom to my kids, the pressure to be a good working mom for other women so they can see that it's achievable. Even the pressure as a little girl to kind of be good and behave and spoke when spoken to and to look a certain way. You know, you I, I think we forget just how much pressures are around us all the time. Today, I'm talking to Lee George, Chief Operating Officer at 1848 Partners, a London-based private investment office serving families and endowments. She's worked in the global financial services industry for almost three decades, starting in private banking and wealth management in New York with Citibank and JP Morgan. She then moved overseas in 2006 to become Director of Global Accounts for RGP in Hong Kong before ending up in London and M&A project management at Credit Suisse. She stepped into the COO role first at Reddington in 2017, where she also served as Executive Board Director and then six years later at 1848, where she is now. An ambassador for the Diversity Project, the UK's investment management industry diversity body, Lee is also an LGBT great ally, as well as a volunteer with Speakers for Schools, an organization dedicated to encouraging young people to pursue careers in financial services, and also GAIN, Girls Are Investors. In our conversation, Lee shares the importance of showing the messiness of life, what she learned when she was five and how that still shows up for her, and why, for Lee, it's always about the people. Lee, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're here to talk about pressure. We're here to talk about how pressure turns up for you. So let's just start there, Lee. How do you experience pressure? I think. I experience pressure from a whole host of different sources. I mean, internal pressure, external pressure. I mean, it's kind of any stimulus, isn't it, that spurs us on. It could be negative, it could be positive, you know. Um, and I think the whole point of this conversation is how do you make sure you capture the positive pressure and figure out how to quiet the, the negative pressure. Um, but I experience it. I don't know, to me, it's a pit in my stomach, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it creeps up on me when I'm least expecting it. And I have to kind of give myself a moment to try and remember or identify what it is that's causing it so mm -hmm. that then I address it. Yeah. Um, and I know something's going to be pressure filled, right? You know, before you start that, you know, before you get up on a big panel, you know, it's going to be a little bit, um, you know, that pit in your stomach is coming. Um, yeah, but sometimes, sometimes I, I feel it and I don't, it takes me a while to figure out why. Mm. So the pit in the stomach is the first sign for you. For me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, 
And that pit in the stomach, have you always had that? Can you remember that being like always the first sign for you? And has the relationship with the pit in your stomach changed as you've become older? I think I've always had it. I, you know, I, I was kind of, a, I wasn't an elite athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but I was always an active um active kid. I was a gymnast. I felt it before any meet I ever participated in. I ran winter track in high school to keep in shape between field hockey and lacrosse. And like, I'd be physically sick before those, those meets, just because running isn't necessarily my thing. I wasn't doing it to race. I was doing it to kind of stay in good form (laughs) for the next sport. But of course you, you get put on teams. And I remember they kept putting me on the four by 400 relay. And oh my God, the the idea of letting my teammates down just made me physically sick to my stomach. And that, that the, the people that I care about in my career, in my life, not, not doing what I say I'm going to do, letting them down, Mm -hmm. that will definitely, you know, bring that pit in my stomach back. And I think, you know, the relationship has changed because now I use that as, you know, as, as something that, creates positive change and Mm. the voices or the inputs that I think are, are negative pressures. Like I mean, guilt's a great one, right? I don't think guilt hardly, I can't think of a time when guilt actually brings about positive change. Mm. And Mm. so I think thanks to my mom, who is an incredible kind of force in my life and who's always just said guilt is a wasted emotion yeah I mean I think she's I think I think it's not nothing good tends to come from feeling guilt um if you want to to have performance high performance Mm -hmm. guilt's a way to go about yeah uh, instigating that yeah but I'm so intrigued as to how the pit of your stomach and the conversation about that went into guilt so is, is does guilt cr- provide pressure for you what what's the relationship yeah. between pressure and guilt then for you I think it's you know I think it's it, it goes in for me it goes into you know fear of letting the people I care about down ah, and okay. guilty about letting people down um right. okay but I mean that's the voice I've 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 quieted I think over many years of practice um and allowed kind of the other voices, you know, to cheer me on instead. Yeah. And and also what I'm hearing in there is the sort of doing it for others or playing your part like that, you know, the four by four relay, you know, playing that key part for the good of three other people um, actually raises your game. Definitely. I think, mm. you know, I've always chosen all of the, roles that I've taken and I've had a whole host of different roles through different career breaks that I've taken due to the arrival of my kids and global relocations. I've always chosen them because of the people, you know, mm. the company, yes, it's, it's nice to be, I've worked for big brands. I've worked for small brands. I've worked for startups. I've worked for publicly traded companies. Um, but to me at the end of the day, I choose, I choose teams. I choose leaders and I think when you are driven by the people with whom you work, you are driven to help, you know, participate in a high performing team with those people. Yeah. 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 Yes. And I, I mean, you've always said to me, you know, you need to, I think you said something like 
run into the eye of the eye of a storm or run into the fire, you know, because that's always going to be better than running away from it. <laughs> um, and so I'm, you know, I'm really intrigued with your journey, Lee, around how pressure has has been this sort of almost attraction. I mean, on one hand, it seems to make you physically sick. And on the other hand, it's actually an attracting force because you know that actually if you can run into it um, wholeheartedly, you will be better as a result. Would that be a fair summary of, of, of some of the conversations we've had in the past? Maybe, yeah. Um, I don't, that pit in my stomach isn't a frequent feeling for me though. Like I don't want to leave the impression that that's kind of a constant, it's not. I think that's why when I do feel it, I have to I have to connect to it and figure out what what it's coming from so that I can solve that whatever that challenge is. Yeah. Um I'm an observer of people. I really like to sit back and watch um and understand what the dynamic is in a room, in a meeting, among leaders, um, in various situations, the power dynamic, the interpersonal dynamic, and connecting with people and understanding. I mean, I think fundamentally the role of a chief operating officer is to make sure that everybody around you has the systems, the tools, the skills, the products, you know, whatever it is to succeed and to remove any obstacles in their way. So mm-hmm. it's really fundamentally that is a description of what I do. And I can't do that unless I understand what motivates each of the people that I'm working with, what what brings out the best in them, what maybe brings out the not so best in them. Um, And that's all about the people and the people dynamics and, and, you know, how they play out um, over, over time. Yeah. So, So what would you say produces pressure for you in that role now? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, I think, you know, wanting to do my best for the 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 people that I'm working with the people that I respect the most um creating something you know because I'm I'm now kind of back in a, at a scale up um mm-hmm. you know we're all working incredibly hard in the same direction to build something create something that has its own inherent pressure I think mm-hmm. and I think that's positive pressure because that's kind of exciting pressure everyone is is rowing in the same direction and we're all learning and we're all growing and we're all trying to build something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so therefore the pressure that's contagious in that group of people becomes actually very empowering. I'm hearing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And so I think, what, you know, being, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say being in a small kind of scale up small company, you just have so much more ability to impact the direction it takes too, because, you know, decisions are very centralized. You can be a lot more agile. Yeah. And you've come from a bigger company, haven't you? You've made that choice to go from a bigger company to that. And it's interesting that already you're feeling that dynamic. Yeah, for sure. I think I've successively chosen smaller companies at every, every time. (laughs) Pretty soon I'm going to be in a five-person office we'll see <laughs> okay yeah well, we'll see. Um, what what what's the worst pressure you've ever experienced Lee um I think it's societal pressure I think is the hardest one um you know I mean I think as a working parent as 
you know, as a woman, as a leader, there are so many pressures out there that you're, you probably don't even consciously process day in and day out that you're dealing with. I mean, I, you know, the pressure to be a, a good mom to my kids, the pressure to be a good working mom for other women so they can see that it's achievable. You know, even the pressure as a little girl to kind of be good and behave and, um, you know, spoke when spoken to and to look a certain way. You know, you I, I think we we forget just how much pressures are around us all the time. Yeah. And when you recognize that pressure, actually, I think you said something when we first initiated, when we, when we spoke before this podcast, you said something that you remembered way, way back. Was it in primary school to your point about what you were taught to do? Can you, can you talk a bit about that? Do you remember that? Yeah. I think you asked me if I could remember the very first time I ever felt pressure and I was thinking a lot about that because I know that's a question you frequently ask yeah. people. Um, and I I honestly think it was as early as kindergarten. So in the US, I was probably five years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember in kindergarten class and I remember, and I'm sure it wasn't the first time and probably happened a couple of times after that, a boy got kind of sent out of the, out of the room to go sit in the hall um, or go to the principal's office. I can't remember what it was, but I remember consciously processing that event and thinking, huh, okay, I'm supposed to be the one who we, I I'm supposed to sit here. And it happened to be a boy. And it's just these gender stereotypes that I think infiltrate your brain from such a young age. Um, and I just remember thinking, okay, I need to be good. I need to sit and do what I'm told. I need to behave myself. I need to hand in my homework on time. I need to, you know, sit and I need to have neat handwriting and I need to write the calendar in the right order because that boy got in trouble for writing it the backwards way. Um, I remember he had done it like a snake instead of left to right, left to left, right, left to right. Um, and I think that that was for sure the first time I ever felt pressure. And that, you know, that as that's a takes a long time to shake. And that's why you and I started talking to each other, right? I did my first board position yeah. and I was sat, I sat there waiting for permission to speak and board meeting after board meeting after board meeting would go by and nobody gives you permission to speak in the workplace. It's your job. You know, they, Goldman Sachs, I think it is, has this um, obligation to dissent. And I remember the first time I heard it on a podcast, I thought, oh my gosh, yes, I, I'm paid not to agree with everyone, not to sit there in silence, but to to, to, to provide an alternate view yeah. to whatever being presented, not to be argumentative, but to give a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting point, that whole idea of, you know, what we're in unconsciously conditioned to believe equals good behavior and how that follows. I mean, how, you know, how interesting, you know, you're in your middle aged, you're middle agedly and the whole that moment of you when you were five comes straight back to you in this moment of this conversation. Like, I'm so fascinated with the stuff that um, you know unconsciously sits with us. Um, and unless we sort of dig it out, we can't track the dots in terms of what we've made that mean, yeah. actually. So let, let's go to that moment, because this, this is not an uncommon uh, conversation around, you know, sitting in a board or sitting in a high powered 
uh, environment and feeling like, how do I, you know, when do I speak? How do I speak? Am I waiting for permission to speak? I don't agree with that, but can I speak? You know, this whole idea of obligation to dissent or just obligation to speak, right? I mean, how did, can you just talk us through about how you moved that? Because you definitely moved that on, didn't you, massively? So what did you do? What did you train yourself to do in those moments that stopped you from waiting for permission to, to actually speaking what you really, really thought? I think, you know, again, you're taught from such a young age not to interrupt, right? Mm. But you get a business meeting and the only way to contribute half the time is you have to interject at some point. So you have to find your moment. And there were so many times where I felt, you know, in the lead up to sort of feeling like I'd, I'd cracked this, where I, I felt like, okay, I have something valuable and I think I can add to this conversation. And then in an attempt to, 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 to posit it in the right moment, I would miss, I would miss the boat because by the time there was an opportunity to speak, the conversation had moved on and it seems so silly. Um, but it was really, for me personally, it was just ingrained in me, um, that, you know, I, and I think it happens with lots of women, right? We're, we're taught that you know, we are supposed to abide by this set of rules that actually doesn't really apply in the working world that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's, maybe that's why women do so well at school and then kind of come out into the workforce and there's a bit of a, a jarring experience. Um, but I think, you know, watching the dynamics in a room and saying to myself, I need, this is the conversation that I care about, A, because I think when I care about something, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a better, I'm better at articulating my view. I feel more passionate about interjecting my views. So finding something I really care about, finding something that I feel, and I also, I genuinely don't feel the need to interject in a conversation if I have nothing substantive to add. I don't, if I don't have a different perspective, mm-hmm. but frequently in boards where you kind of, are the only woman or one of very few women, or you're in a slightly different role. So I'm not, you know, I'm in an operations role. So I'm not presenting financials. I'm not presenting um, kind of, you know, the next possible acquisition and deal flow, Um, but finding something I'm passionate about. And then just kind of saying, this needs to be said, like this conversation can't go on because we're missing a critical component of it as a board to be able to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I think get the, having the confidence to realize that, that, that your point of view is a really important balance to a conversation as part of it as well. And that mm-hmm. probably comes with just time. But I, you know, I had a, a CEO who said to me at one point, when you speak about the things that you're passionate about, you are a completely different speaker that when, than when you're just presenting words on a page. And I guess that's probably true of all of us, but I think it really hit home that that makes a big difference for me. Yeah. Did that impact your preparation for those meetings then, Lee? Yeah, it did. I think even, even when putting together my kind of board pack sections, mm-hmm. rather than necessarily give people what they'd seen before making a bit more of a judgment call on what I felt was an important aspect to pull out or focus on. Yeah. Yeah. I just, so I love that, that point you're making about speaking about the things that we fundamentally care about. Um, 
And then you get into it. You can feel it, can't you? You can actually feel it's a it's a it's tangible as a feeling. I think when you are talking about something, not just to you, but also to others. So, like you know, the CEO's feedback to you saying actually it's very different when you speak from something that really matters to you. Um, and I, you know, I, I agree. I think we're all going so far sometimes that we're tipping up to meetings to say nothing of the sort of the back-to-back tyranny that most people seem to be dealing with at the moment, that actually that that opportunity to stop and pause and think, what do I fundamentally care about in this mm-hmm. meeting that I really want to, to wholeheartedly put my voice behind? And COVID was so hard because we were all these boxes on screens because I think when you care about something, your body language changes too. Like yes. if you're in a room all together, you know, you're leaning forward, you're sitting up straighter, you're, you know... And it's easier for other people to pick up on those cues too, so that they're ready yes. for interjection when it comes. Yes. Whereas COVID was really, I mean, I I think if my memory serves, yes, the board appointment, my first board appointment was December, 2019. Mm-hmm. And then of course later we were, I think we had one board meeting. It was right after we raised private equity funding. We had one board meeting with our private equity backers in person before it went remote for two years or whatever it was. So that was also, I think, compounding the challenge for me because it's a lot harder when you're just one little box on a screen of 12 or nine or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, it's a whole other skill in a way, isn't it? Mm, Totally. A third of yourself to radiate some sort of energy and care um, and influence people's opinions. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to hear Lee share how her inner dialogue of waiting for permission to speak was usefully dulled when she heard the phrase, it's your obligation to dissent. That, coupled with her boss's feedback that you're a different speaker when you're talking about something you care about, Lee, gave her permission to choose. She chooses an approach of This is the conversation I care about, because when I care about something, I feel more passionate about interjecting and articulating my view in a way that impacts others. That approach gives her the freedom to recognise those this needs to be said moments. When we talk from a place that we care about, it has a double energetic impact. Most importantly, on you first, and then any others who are listening will feel it. I want to emphasise this word feel. It's a very useful way of preparing the energetic impact that you want to have on others. Most of us, particularly in high pressure situations, focus on what we want people to know, the information we want to share in order for us to feel credible. And yes, this is important, but when we take time to reflect on what we want others to feel, it greatly impacts not only how we articulate it, but also how others receive it. The only permission we need when we want to speak is from ourselves. And whether it's to dissent or to ignite, here are three questions worth asking ourselves and in this order. Firstly, what do I want them to do? For instance, postpone a decision. Secondly, what do I want them to feel? In this case, feel intrigued by a different perspective. Because by intriguing them rather than merely informing, we place our energy and focus on them rather than on ourselves. And finally, what do I want them to know? Having established what I want them to do and how I want them to feel, now I can arrange my content in the way that is most likely to intrigue them. Do, feel, know, in that order. 
The answers to question one and two enable us to edit and hone our answer to the third question, what we want them to know. And what I found invaluable about these questions is that they are useful both in the moment and if I have a lot longer to prepare for something. Reflecting particularly on what I want people to feel allows me to connect to that feeling and consequently it impacts the way I say it, my body, my tone and the words I choose. This is what Lee's boss was referring to. He felt a difference in how she spoke through her feeling a connection to what she cared about. I love this Pat that you want to, you know, you're, you're driven by being a female role model, leader for others, um, working mum. So your whole, your whole life is entwined with what you stand for, I'm hearing here, as opposed to keeping things separate. You are, you are representing a working mum as well as a successful uh, working woman, um, you know, as a leader. So my sense is that you've joined up quite a little, a lot of the components, whereas maybe somebody else might keep them separate. Can you talk a bit more about that, what that means to you and how that allows you to, to manage the various different pressures along the way? I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. it's super important to me to, for people to, to, to share their stories. Um, I think it's, you know, in this, you know, social media world that we live in where everybody is this plastic version of themselves that has no problems and no cares in the world and everything's great. Um, I think it's so important in life as it is in business to demonstrate that, you know, you're, you're not perfect. You've got, you know, three kids, you know, you've got a husband there, there is a lot going on. And I think I didn't find earlier in my career, a lot of female role models that were people that I could identify with because they were unidentifiable. They weren't, you know, I didn't have visibility. Maybe it was because I just didn't have visibility on it, but I didn't, I didn't see them as real authentic people who were works in progress and, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. who had messy lives because all of us have messy lives, right? All of us do. None of us have a life that is just perfect and everything goes smoothly all the time. And I think the only way you can demonstrate to younger women who are coming up in their careers and thinking about how in the world they are ever going to, to or and young men to that, to that as, as men, I think, have more opportunity for parental leave and more opportunity from business to be more active parents um, to their children it is more even more important that we demonstrate that it is doable, mm. but my God, there are days when it is so hard and mm. Mm. there are, you know, there are pressures all over the map. There's pressures from the school, the school moms, the, school, you know, the, you know, the, the exams in this country. And, you know, there's pressures, you, you know, you can't walk a step, you know, without facing, you know, a, a, a thousand different pressures, but mm. the only way that we can keep parents in the workforce is by kind of showing them that, yeah, there are these pressures all over the place and they don't go away. They're a fact of life. We need to teach our kids how to deal with them. We need to teach each other how to deal with them. We need to acknowledge that they're there. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is kind of to be authentic and kind of show people that there's, there's more than this kind of this work version of you. Yeah. And, and as a leader, when you do that, what do you see is the impact? 
with your team or, or others that you're working alongside? I think it allows you to have stronger connections with people and allows you to be a, a bit more authentic mm. at work, which I think not only helps the people you work directly with or kind of more junior members of staff, but also, I mean, I'm at a new firm. I've only been there for three weeks, right? And I, you know, I've, I've already had to kind of show up late to a meeting because my youngest who just started commuting on his own got stuck at a station because the train stopped running and I had to head over to him to try and get him in an Uber and then make it to a meeting. Like, you know, to work with me is to know that I'm the deputy parent. My husband works on a trading floor for all the will in the world. He can't, and he works a lot further away from our kids physically. He can't pick this stuff up. And you know, the way our careers have gone, because I've taken breaks, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, I, I kind of come with a bit of a package deal. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm hearing that. Um, how do you, how would you, if if the pre you know the premise of this podcast as you know is is around how do we take the energy of pressure and turn it into something that is enlivening and motivating helps us grow helps us become better you're sharing a lot about how that has worked for you lee and presumably it's going to still develop right how do you help others in your team who you can visibly see are under pressure how do you how do you lead others when they are facing or they're even seeing pressure that you wouldn't necessarily feel is a pressure situation. You know, we all have a different barometer, don't we, in terms of what is challenging or what is pressure making. How, how do you manage that as a leader? I think you have to get to the bottom of what's causing it, right? Is there something at home, you know, mm. that's causing it? Is it something at work? Is it, you know, is it a, is a workload issue? Is it a relationship at work? Is it, a difficult client? Is it, you know, what is it? And I think the only way that you're going to be able to unearth that is by having a good, strong connection with that person to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and to be absolutely crystal clear in your purpose, which is to help them help remove those obstacles, help give them the tools that they need. So whether it's, you know, you know, facing up, to having a difficult conversation with a with a colleague or whether it's i don't know helping them practice for a presentation that they have upcoming um they're you know moderating a panel discussion for the first time or you know talking them through a difficult diagnosis you mm -hmm. know and make, making sure they have the support of the organization to take the time that they need or to be flexible in their um and their working pattern for a while to be able to address whatever it is they need to address. But I don't think you can do any of that unless you have a, a really good personal connection with that person and B that they know that without a doubt you are there to, to help them get through whatever it is they're getting through and to get to the other side of it and be stronger and better and more capable as a consequence of, of that obstacle they've overcome. Yeah. And do you have ways of discovering that or is that just on intuition and what you notice? I mean, I think you need to call things out when I think when I think not being afraid to call things out when you see behavior that's anachronistic to what you're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you see somebody that 
I don't know, even looks down at their desk, you know, as you pass by, you know, maybe grabbing them when they're in the kitchen, have, making coffee and saying, hey, you don't look like your usual self. Is everything all right? Do you want to have a chat? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the, the, I know that deck that you sent, you know, di you know, didn't have your usual energy and um, you didn't get straight to the point in the way that I think you usually do. Is there something going on? Can, is there any way I can help? I mean, I, I, I think not, I think shy, not shying away from kind of a difficult, potentially difficult conversation, mm -hmm. opening the door to, mm -hmm. to the, and not everybody wants to, to walk through that door and that's okay. I think mm -hmm. you've got to circle back on that later. But I think it, for me, because I am kind of very much an observer of people, I, I, I pick up pretty quickly when I think things are slightly, if things are changing, things are a little different. Um, and I try and try and understand why that is. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing you make time for that. And there's this sort of social interactions that you're witnessing. Are there things that you actually purposely do in meetings to enable people to be able to um, share how they are, who they are, where they are today? You know, is, is there anything that you put into, I suppose I'm talking about the distance between formal and the informal connection. For sure. I think, I think meetings or even when people are standing around having conversations, I think interpersonal kind of dynamics and space is fascinating and how the interplay mm. is with that and people's ability to kind of put their best foot forward in terms of a conversation. I, I remember attending a meeting early, early days when I joined a firm a number of years ago and, and I pointed out to the CEO that the, the conference room table, which is a long conference room table, it was like a morning, Friday morning meeting, kind of all hands meeting. Um, everyone that was seated at the table were the men in the firm and the women were kind of in the second, no, there wasn't a rule, you know, okay. there, there, no. And the women were sat and there weren't that many women at the firm and they were attempting to improve their kind of female representation. The women were kind of sat at a second row. And I pointed it out to him and he was so floored that that had happened kind of under his watch, given that it was something that he cared so much about. Mm. And that kind of stuff matters, right? Mm. It might happen by happenstance, but it matters. And you need to call it out and you need to try and fix it because you don't want to perpetuate that dynamic. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, even the way people are set in meetings or if, one person comes to a meeting and doesn't talk at all and it's a small meeting you know i will usually say to that person afterwards you were in the in the meeting but i didn't hear you say anything did you have something you wanted to add or i'll say it in the moment if i know them well enough and i know that that's not gonna you know put them on the spot and not bring out the best in them um and sometimes you know people have perfectly reasonable explanations for not participating in meetings but Usually, you know, when I would speak to our grads, when they would come in uh, um, kind of once a year, I would say, if you have been invited to a meeting, it's because your opinion is wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, you're not, you've not been invited as an observer. You've been invited as an active participant. Mm -hmm. So use that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
that sounds like the mantra you started to use yourself when we <laughs> when you were first uh, joining the board meeting, hey? Yeah, the, the, the advice I wish I'd received. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the case, though? I want to just talk a little bit more about that, the, the idea of purpose and how that fuels you, Lee. Because I think that's the biggest thing that I've really taken from our work together is how much that really matters to you. Um, and I'm I'm intrigued to know what what do you want to do with that? What's the ambition with your purpose or your 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 sort of legacy? And how does pressure enable that to really excel for you? Because you, you you're always I think wanting to go to the next the next phase, you know, with things that really, really matter. And now with this new job, this fresh start, this sort of new energy, what do you, what's your relationship with pressure in terms of your own ambition? It's a, it's a good question. I think I, I am not at all competitive. Um, on the contrary, I, I, you know, captain sports in high school and, my primary objective with the team was that they all come together and get along and perform as a team. To me, that was so much more important than them winning. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, I don't think anything's changed in that respect, right? For me, in order for an organization to perform, the people have to work together and each one of the individuals has to be performing at their best in order for the team to perform at their best. For me, the pressure to make sure I'm fostering that to the greatest extent possible mm -hmm. comes from absolutely comes from within. Um, yes, of course, I feel external pressures, but I think I have far more kind of exceedingly high expectations on myself than probably others typically do. Um, and I think you're know, part of that, not wanting to let people down, you know, that pressure drives me to have high expectations um, and I think, you know, some of the quid pro quo of me having, you know, the the the, the package deal of, you know, the, the three kids who are still kind of, you know, mom, I need more money, mom, I did, you know, yeah. with no, no acknowledgement whatsoever that there's a work day and hours and that I might be on calls despite repeated reminders, I think is that I will put in 110% effort into everything I do, you know, that, you know, I may have to leave because my son gets stuck at some, you know, tube station. Um, but I will also put in work till two o'clock in the morning to make sure I have absolutely the best, you know, output on whatever I'm working on or that I get through that stuff that I wanted to get done for the day. Um, so for, for me, the, the, the flexibility that I am given as a working mom comes back in spades in terms of my loyalty to the organization and the, the I guess, level kind of that I hold myself to um, in terms of how much I give to the organization and the quality of what I give to the organization. Yeah. So again, I think pressure, it's like all self-created pressure um, which probably is also has lots of contributor co contributing effects of external pressure, but um, yeah, and 
the red flag in all of that, as I listen to it, is when we have all a desire to bring the best out of others. Um, often ourselves get left behind. So, mm. you know, I'm, I hear a very strong drive in you to do the best for as many people as possible in your watch, under your watch. How do you recover, Lee? How do you put Lee at the heart of her own recovery and looking after her in order to be able to be there in that way for others? I mean, I think it's, there's a number of different things. I mean, I, I try and walk a lot. Um, I try and always figure out how to get at least 20 minutes or 30 minutes of walk walking. I mean, and we're so lucky to live in London and everything, you know, walking through some beautiful neighborhoods, parks, whatever, either I'll walk to the train station on this end at home, or I'll walk, you know, to, from the, from my son's school to, to the office. I always am listening to a podcast. Sometimes it's kind of asset management, investment management, you know, kind of really heavy duty kind of technical stuff. And sometimes it's leadership and, you know, there's an organizational psychologist from Morton Business School that I listen to all the time that I love because he's always thinking about how people, like what makes people tick and how, how, how they are successful, um, how, how who they are contributes to making them successful. Um, or, I mean, even, you know, podcast about you talking to teens, you know, so I listen to a whole host of different things. Um, and I listen to podcasts pretty much anytime you know, as soon as I leave the office, my AirPods go in and I'm listening to something and I'm walking. And I need that time to be in my head, in my own head and like process stuff. And there's lots of times that, you know, I'll stop in the middle of a walk and send a text or send an email because something will occur to me that I need to do and that somebody I need to reach out to, or I don't know, something I need to move forward. Um, but also, you know, I do, I, I've always Saturday and Sunday, I always do my Pilates classes, a, my physical health, my back's lousy and it keeps me kind of more or less upright. Um, but I think, you know, I try and cobble together that stuff that I do for myself during the week. And then on the weekend, um, I, you know, I make sure I do my Pilates classes and, and then, you know, I surround myself with the people that are going to, bring out the best in me, right? Like mm. the, my, my friends and my colleagues, former and present who are going to challenge me and, you know, tell me, um, tell me I'm off base when I'm off base. And, and I talk to my parents all the time. I talk to my in-laws all the time. My husband's like a huge champion and is, you know, always a good honesty meter. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Lots of different ways, I think, but I think you have to figure out the the you know when you are working and you have children and 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 you have aging parents and whatever you have to grab every opportunity right so if it's on your commute you make the best of your commute right if it's you know if it's for one hour on a Saturday you make the best of that time yeah. you know, yeah. you've got to be really efficient about it yeah 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 this conversation with Lee reminds me of the distinction between buffaloes and cows and their response to a storm. When cows sense a storm, they run away from it in the hope of avoiding it. And as a consequence, they maximize the pain and frustration and become exhausted and remain in the storm longer. On the other hand, 
when buffaloes sense a storm, they run directly into it to get through it and out the other side quickly, minimizing the duration of the impact by hitting it head on. By heading into the storm, they are being efficient with their energy. It reminds me of learning to surf and realizing that the only way I could get to the other side of a large wave rolling towards me was to head straight through it, to avoid it throwing me head over heels towards the shore. It felt, and it still feels actually, entirely counterintuitive to do this. But the impact and sense of control, and frankly surprise, that it provides when I'm on the other side of it is enlivening. And as I think back, I'm reminded of the importance of both the timing and commitment needed to successfully get through a large wave. If I hesitate or mistime it, I'm done for. We all have pressure or storms in our life. In fact, Lee talks about thousands of pressures, societal, personal, professional, coming at us on a daily basis. If we make sure that we have enough fuel in our tank, really take our shed seriously, we can be better at choosing when and if to respond. And when we have ways to connect to why it matters, boosting our purpose energy, we can power up our commitment to run towards it, accessing our buffalo energy when we need it most. That way we become more and more efficient at choosing to use our energy where it matters most. I always finish with two questions from guests around if you had two things that you could offer anyone listening to this who wants to be better under pressure and turn the energy of pressure into a force for better, what would be your two pay forwards to them? I think the first one is that one that I mentioned about guilt. If you can identify when you're when you're doing something that's been spurred on by a feeling of guilt versus any other stimulus, maybe stop and take note of that and try and understand who you're doing it for. Are you doing something for yourself? Or are you doing something out of a, you know, a feeling, you know, feeling badly for not having done done something for someone else or feeling badly for not having done something differently. Um, and I think tied into that is I try and learn from my mistakes, but I'm not a look in the rear view mirror person very much. I, I don't, I look in the rear view mirror from the standpoint of, I want to, I want to learn and I want to use the amazing experiences I've had to be able to move forward, but I do not do the what what if I'd taken a different mm. decision what if I'd taken a different path and I think for me those are kind of two really important aspects of trying to kind of be positive and use use pressure for good um because you can't re can't rewrite the past right and you know no, but I'm hearing when you do look back, you are learning and you're gathering the things that are actually very useful to you. Do you do that? Is that a conscious effort? And do you literally sit down and think, what have I done in the last year that I'm going to really take forward? Or what am I learning from? How do you do that? Is it an unconscious or is it quite a conscious process for you when you look back in, in the rearview mirror for lessons? The idea of having a moment to sit down and think is hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> does anybody have time for that? Um, no, I think it's subconscious. It's not that it's subconscious because I know that when I walk and uh, like either if I'm really chewing on something, I'll walk. 
And I know that's how I'm going to be processing information or I'm talking to somebody like you um, or a friend or whomever who can help me kind of untangle something. Mm -hmm. But I, I am a thinker. I am a talker. So if something's bothering me. I will. I, I don't hold it and bottle it up and hold it inside. Um, mm -hmm. I try through it. Like I, I can't not work through it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't have like, you know, one of those amazing Pandora's boxes that I can check everything in. It just doesn't work for me. It kind of seeps out. <laughs> so yeah. I know yeah. I need to, I need to figure it out somehow, but it's, I think maybe it was conscious, conscious at one point, but I think it's just part of how I operate. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I mean, what's what's wonderful, I think, about what you're saying is, you know, some of us will look back and say, what if and if only I had and, you know, if I'd taken that direction. So what you're saying is that's not what you do. You know, you've made a decision. It's a choice. You've now moved forward. There's no point in wasting any energy on looking back at that and chastising yourself around that decision. But what you do do is you do pick up the thing, the key lessons that you've learned along the way and take them with you into where you're heading, either like you know you don't maybe you don't sit down and actively do that but it sounds like you're you are doing that unconsciously you're collecting like a magpie some of the things along the way that are going to be useful for you going forward is that is that roughly yeah, yeah for sure I mean are that you know as I've moved from company to company and had breaks and taken roles when I've come back that probably I wouldn't have never wouldn't have ever considered taking you know, if I'd had a kind of linear career, I think, you know, there are times when I felt like I've had jobs and there are times when those jobs have morphed into careers and mm -hmm. there are times when I've had a career. And I think, you know, you could look back on that and go, oh, did I waste, you know, a couple of years of my life doing a job? No, because they're all stepping stones, right? Like if I hadn't done that job, I wouldn't have learned this or I wouldn't have met yeah. this person. I wouldn't have, you know, worked in this amazing place um, during, you know, this insane time or whatever it was, you know, going on in the markets. I think everything, it's all, we're all on a path, right? And I think every stepping stone that we're, that we, that we go kind of past has some value. We just have to figure out what the value is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. There's a, a nugget of gold in every experience if we look for it. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.